Welcome to the Gaining Health Podcast. I'm your host, Carly Burridge, and I have been specializing in the medical care of people with obesity and obesity-related complications for over a decade. And this podcast is about how we can revolutionize healthcare and the health and well-being of our patients by providing compassionate, patient-centered, and evidence-based obesity care. At Gaining Health, we support clinicians interested in obesity medicine in numerous ways. We keep clinicians up to date with the latest science and guidelines through this podcast, and we also offer a membership to join the Gaining Health community to clinicians who want to start or optimize an obesity management program or practice. And as a member, you'll enjoy numerous benefits, including access to our recorded masterclasses, a community chat forum that allows you to ask questions and share resources with fellow members, regular live virtual group coaching sessions, access to exclusive digital resources, and much more. We also offer resources such as the popular book, Developing an Obesity Management Program, The Clinician's Roadmap, editable forms and templates, and patient education materials through the Gaining Health Shop, so you don't have to recreate the wheel when designing your program. Thank you for joining us, and let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to the Gaining Health Podcast, and I'm super excited to have Dr. Tony Oriema with me here today. Tony Oriema graduated cum laude from Hope College before receiving his Doctor of Medicine degree at Loyola University from Chicago, and he is also a Juris Doctor from the John Marshall Law School, where he graduated cum laude. So as you can tell, he's, he's a real slacker. <laughs> He then completed his residency in family medicine at Hinsdale Hospital, where he served as chief, chief resident, and he's board certified in both family medicine and obesity medicine, and serves as the medical director for Ascension Weight Loss Solutions, where I happen to work with him clinically. And he is a board member and fellow of the Obesity Medicine Association, and also serves as an alternate delegate at the American Medical Association, representing the Obesity Medicine Association. He was the recipient of OMA's Dr. Vernon B. Asler Award in 2022, and he is a founding member and past president of the Illinois Obesity Society, which was founded in 2019 and which is currently one of the largest and most active state obesity organizations in the country. So welcome, Tony. Thank you for being with us today. Oh, thank you, Carly. Uh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm so excited to see you here because between our clinical work together and serving on the Illinois Obesity Society together uh, and working together on projects and initiatives at OMA, I've been fortunate enough to get to know you pretty well over the last few years. And I have to say it's really remarkable how much you do and how much you've been able to accomplish. Uh, and especially also with the program at Ascension, which has over 10, is it 10 now? 10 different? Yeah, we're up to 10 locations now. Yeah. Yes. That's amazing. And they're all in the Chicago area, right? Correct. So Correct. that is awesome. So Tony, you know, on top of everything you do professionally, I know you also have a beautiful family and two teenage children. So between everything that you do, how do you find time to stay active and take care of yourself? Because we know that this is often what we hear from a lot of people uh, is that they just don't have time to, you know, take care of their health. So how do you do that? 
Well, it, it has become easier now that the kids are teenagers because anything I can do to get out of the house can be, uh, can, can be helpful. They're <laughs> lovely girls. Aside. That's not true. <laughs> yeah, no, they are. I'm very blessed and fortunate. But uh, yes, no. So, um, you know, I, I think the same advice that I give my patients, I try to live by myself just because, you know, um, people that take time for nutrition and sleep and regular activity and exercise, you can tell a big difference in um, your ability to do work and function. And and that goes back to, you know, my um, you know training in medical school and going to law school and, and trying to juggle all that back in my twenties. You, know, uh, you know, taking care of myself. I always made sure I got sleep. I wasn't the all-nighter guy. I always made sure, even post-call, I went to the gym just to do something to sweat and reset yourself. And uh, and it's, it served me well. And it's it's something that I, I share that message with my patients. Yeah, I think that's so incredibly important. And it goes to show that even somebody like you who's doing so many different things, you know, you have to make the time for it. And when you do, it Correct. allows you to also be more focused and be rested and be able to be there for your patients and for your family and everything else that you do. Um, so yeah, I've always found that if I take time for myself, even though you're putting that on, you know, put it on your schedule, take that time, but I'm more efficient with the rest of my day. So um, I think it's actually time well spent. I absolutely, I agree. And so, you know, I want to talk to you about a lot of different things today. I know you get a lot of questions around starting, you know, state and local organizations, but before we jump into that, I do want to talk to you a little bit about your program at Ascension. Uh, because sure. I think it's so incredibly important what you have done there and to have as many locations as you have is really impressive. And I think it's really important because we hear so often from patients and from clinicians that, you know, somebody's ready to, to start a program. Uh, you know, we, we know that there's these stages of change and somebody is actually in that phase where they're ready to take action. And then they're told that there's a six month wait or a one year wait. And, you know, that's, that's really hard for our patients. And so the fact that you've been able to create this many programs allows us to get patients in much sooner. So tell us a little bit about when you first started this program and how you developed it, how you've allowed it to be as successful as it is with 10 locations now in the Chicago area and kind of how the program has evolved through the years. Great. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, you know, I actually started out on my own. Um, you know, I started in uh, residency, moonlighting one night a week. I was exposed to obesity medicine back then. I knew nothing about it. Um, that was back in 2005. And then shortly after finishing my residency and starting in family medicine, I opened up a weight management center one night a week. Um, didn't know much of what I was doing. Um, fortunately, I was connected with Obesity Medicine Association. Back then, it was called the American Society of Bariatric Physicians. And so I found that organization in 2006 and was able to make some networking and, and learning environments and CME from them to really start the journey of what obesity medicine is and, and how to treat patients with obesity effectively. And then uh, after a few years of opening up my own uh, weight loss centers, weight management centers, we got up to three of them. Um, then about 2012, a health system in the Chicago area that had a very strong bariatric surgery program wanted to complement that with weight management. And so uh, they went and looked in the community and, um, you know, I guess, uh, you know, they, they found me and, and recruited me to come there and, and become medical director. Um, so that was Alexium Brothers uh, Health System. And over the last, uh, you know, 11 years now, uh, we've grown that uh, to 10 locations. Our health system has also grown. 
And the reason we have so many locations, I mean, some people are kind of taken aback by that. You know, there's three core locations that we call kind of full-time locations. The rest of them are more satellites. Mm -hmm. And the reason is our health system has, you know, I think we're up to nine or 10 hospitals now. And so what we're trying to do is have a center located in an area where our patients live and our patients are, you know, getting health care. And uh, because obesity medicine is very intensive in terms of time commitment for the patient coming in regularly, you know, for lifestyle intervention and support and and regular follow-up, we kind of want to have locations that are convenient for them. So we figured we had nine or 10 hospitals and major primary care sites, and we kind of wanted to complement that with with our satellite location. So that's how we grew to uh, 10 locations. And... As everyone knows, this is a pandemic now because it affects the world and it's hard to get into see obesity medicine. So we've been trying to stay ahead of that curve and always recruiting and growing um, so we can serve our patients because many centers, even in the Chicago area, very good, well-run centers, like you mentioned, it could be six months, eight months, nine months. And and uh, when a patient is serious and wants to tackle this disease, you know, we want to be there to help them. We don't want to say wait six months and, and just keep, you know, uh, dealing with it. So um, that's how we ended up where we are today. And it's, it's, it's a amazing program and they got amazing people working with me like yourself. So thank you for coming aboard. I've uh, been a little over a year, I think. So yeah. thanks for being here with me. Um, but that's kind of how it all got started. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, one of the things that I really recognize about what you've done and and now working with you clinically for the past year is the team that you have built and the environment and the culture that you have created. And I think that that's really important. And one of the reasons why you have had the success that, you know, you've had and that the program has had is because there's this great culture. Everybody gets along. Everybody communicates with everybody uh, very efficiently and has a lot of fun together. Um, so t- can you tell us a little bit about the team that you put together? You know, do you have dietitians? Like in terms of like the structure of your program, how did you, you know, kind of start that and has that evolved throughout the, the years? Yeah. So we, when I started, you know, my own program back in 2006, uh, we partnered with OptiFast back then to kind of, you know, use that as one of the tools. And, and, you know, a big part of that program was having a really strong lifestyle intervention and support. And so from the, from the first day we opened up, we, we um, have had that support around nutrition and behavior and increasing uh, activity level. And so currently we uh, have dietitians, exercise physiologists, we have a culinary educator, um, we have social workers. And so we really try to provide a, you know, wide range of support services. Most of those support services are provided in a group setting just Mm -hmm. because it's an efficient way to share information and connect our patients. So we have a number of groups a week and we have over, you know, 10 in-person groups, I think maybe closer to 15. We have a couple Zoom classes every week so we can provide that behavior, uh, lifestyle support component. And that's really a big part of our program. And then on top of that, we have the medical providers. So physicians, nurse practitioners, um, physician assistants to help support the medical side of the the practice and, and, you know, ability to use pharmacotherapy or to optimize patients, other conditions that are contributing to obesity. Um, and then we often, we also work closely with our surgical colleagues, pre and post-surgical. So the great thing about our program and our team is we kind of are a one-stop shop. We can provide 
everything that's evidence-based and state-of-the-art for our patients uh, within one program. And thanks for recognizing the culture that we built there. We really, you know, out of the gates, tried to make this a place where patients feel comfortable. Um, you know, there's so much stigma and bias around obesity, and a lot of that comes from healthcare providers, and we didn't want to be a place like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that really comes from the top down. So I encourage anyone in charge of a program, any physicians, other medical providers, really build a culture, you know, where patients are never shamed, where they look forward to coming in. And uh, patients develop, you know, great relationships with my medical assistants and dietitians. I'm kind of sometimes an afterthought, even though I'm supposed <laughs> to be the head of it, because, you know, they see them regularly and get support and, you know, get high fives. And it's a really a, a fun place to work. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It really is. And you can feel that from the patients, you can feel it from the staff. Um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, in terms of, so you offer all of these great supports for your patients. We know that insurance doesn't always cover all of that. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, reimbursement? Do you guys take insurance? I mean, I know we do. Uh, cash base, like how do you, how do you kind of make all of that work financially? Yeah, so I've been through all the iterations since 2006. Uh, back then, you know, we had a one self-pay price. I think it was like $3,000. And, you know, in 24 weeks, we cured your obesity. And after doing that for a few years, I figured out this was a chronic disease. We couldn't cure it in a 24-week program. Um, and then, you know, we did some a la carte self-pay. But about Maybe about 13 or 14 years ago, I switched over to our current model where, you know, we have medical services that are provided that are billed to insurance, um, like seeing the physician and labs and those type of things. And then we have the lifestyle intervention component, which is a self-pay component because most insurance companies do not pay for those type of services. So like weekly weigh-ins, you know, weekly classes, you know, handouts and materials um, aren't typically covered by insurance. So patients have an out-of-pocket cost for that. And then if patients choose to use a meal replacement, you know, that's an out-of-pocket cost too. Um, But we tried to, you know, make the program as accessible as we could for most people. And uh, we we really stuck by the the need for that lifestyle intervention. I know some programs don't have that or it's optional, but our program, we've kind of made it a mandatory component that if you want to come and, you know, receive services for us, yes, we can help with the medical and do everything else. But we really want to support you with the lifestyle intervention component because we want to make sure this is long lasting. Yeah. And speaking of long lasting, so do you ask for a certain time commitment of patients too? Because sometimes you hear programs that are like, you know, three month programs, 12 week programs. And as you stated earlier, this is a chronic disease. So do you have that kind of baked into the program as well? Yes, we do. So we ask our patients, you know, the when they start with us to give us a one-year commitment to work with us for a year. And then once they sign on the dotted line and they agree to that one year, I tell them, you know, it's kind of like the mob. Now you're stuck with us forever. <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, we really, you know, try to educate our patients about the chronicity of obesity and that effective treatment requires long-term treatment. So I tell patients, yes, you're here for your year, but after that year, we want you to follow up with me or someone like me forever right. um, uh, because you're going to need continued uh, support and treatment of this this disease. Yeah. And I think that message is so important. And so again, <clears throat> kudos to you for, you know, putting together this really fantastic program. And, and I can say now having worked there for the past year or two that uh, it's really impressive. It's a great place to work at patients. Love it. Uh, they don't want to leave after a year. <laughs> they want to nope, keep no, coming stay. back and seeing us. So uh, I think that's the most important thing. They feel welcome there. Um, they're so grateful to receive that type of 
care uh, that can be difficult to find. So, and I also love that you have all these satellite offices, you know, it's not just one center. Um, you know, you have the bariatric surgery as well. We work with the surgeons, but that mm. patients are able to receive that care close to their home where it's convenient for them. So Correct. Um, kudos to you on all of that. It's a great program you've developed. So now we're going to switch though. This, this is a thing that you get a lot of questions around, um, around developing these state or local obesity organizations. So can you tell us a little bit about how the Illinois Obesity Society got started? Uh, what were your thoughts behind it? Why did you feel like there was a need to have a local or a state obesity organization in Illinois? Yeah, great. So, you know, back, you know, when I started in 2006, you know, I think there are maybe a handful of people practicing obesity medicine in Illinois, even less so that were board certified. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times I'd go to national meetings to kind of get with my people, to learn, to network, to share best practices, to, you know, uh, you know, kind of get that hurrah to go back into the, in the trenches and, and fight obesity. Because unfortunately, many of our healthcare colleagues and the rest of the medical community didn't really understand obesity. There was pushback on treatment of obesity because it was a lifestyle choice. Um, at least that's what, you know, people were told that they can just fix this on their own if they just try hard enough. Mm-hmm. And um, what I really wanted to help find is a group of individuals in my community that can get together on a regular basis, share best practices, you know, um, encourage each other, make sure that, hey, we're doing the right thing for our patients, despite what the standard of care is in the rest of the medical community, which was not even treating obesity. Mm -hmm. And so a small group of us, you know, became acquainted in the area. I think it's about 2005, 2016, we started having some you know, dinner, get together, small group, four, five, six providers in the area. And, uh, you know, we were encouraged uh, by some of our industry partners that if we were to get a, you know, a formal organization together, that we'd likely, you know, have a lot of interest in it because they were hearing that in the community and that they would, you know, help support, you know, starting a a program like that. So um, we actually started to form it in, in 2018. And really in 2019 is when we hit the ground running with formal events. And so it just came out of this this need uh, for you know uh, education, networking, um, you know encouragement, and you know treating obesity. And it's I never knew it was going to turn into what it would turn into today. I mean, when we started this organization, it was like five or six of us, uh, you know, Illinois Obesity Society, and we were hoping, hey. We- one day we'll have like 20 of us, maybe 25 people at dinner, you know, sharing things, getting CME, you know, having a network, you know, and, uh, and now at like, you know, basic dinner events, you know, we're hitting uh, limits, you know, hundred people, you know, yearly uh, CME events, you know, maxes out. So um, the, you know, uh, I think the need for these type of local organizations to help support and educate local providers about obesity medicine and even the, the lay public is, uh, it, it's amazing the, uh, the traction it's gained over the years. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Because like you said, you go to these conferences once or twice a year, and you feel re-energized and excited. Yeah. And to be able to yeah. get that more frequently throughout the year is really great. And just the networking and support. 
So talk to us a little bit the, about the logistics, because that's something that people have a lot of questions around. Okay, they've never started, you know, an organization. Uh, do I do a 501c3, 501c6? Like, we need bylaws, we need articles of incorporation. I mean, can you talk us a little bit through kind of what some of the steps were that you took? And I took many similar steps when developing, you know, PAs in obesity medicine. So Talk to us a little bit about what some of those first steps are of starting an organization like this. Yeah, definitely. So it can seem, you know, daunting for people that have never done something like this before, but, you know, you've done it yourself. Uh, now, I cheated. I went to law school, so I maybe had a little, <laughs> a little more advanced education on doing something like this. Not that I knew it all, but at least knew where to look and, you know, what the basic concepts were. Um, but I don't think this is uh, something that any, you know, professional or group of professionals that want to get together can't do on their own or at least get started on their own. Um, so I think it really starts with finding a core group of individuals that, you know, share the same interest and want to participate and, and want to participate is important because you need all hands on deck out of the gate. So, mm-hmm. you know, for in our case, I think there's six of us when we first opened, when we first started the organization. And, you know, it typically starts with, uh, you know, forming a non-for-profit corporation, which is, uh, you know, it's it's state by state specific. So everything I say today, um, just so everyone knows, I'll give the disclaimer, this is the attorney in me. This is not <laughs> to be considered legal advice or tax advice consult the appropriate professional. Okay. That's, that's my disclaimer. Okay. (laughs) So, you know, in, in Illinois, you needed a certain number of directors. So you need three people to form a non-for-profit. So it's hard for just one person to form this all by by themselves. And and you're going to need hands on deck anyway. So get a small group of patients. I'm sorry, of, uh, like-minded uh, professionals. And if you go to your Secretary of State website, and it's state-by-state specific, each state has their own rules about it, um, there is typically a lot of information. There's how-to guides, um, sometimes even have templates on how to set things up. And you want to set up a non-for-profit corporation. And, and when you do that, you file what they call articles of incorporation or articles of organization. And that's kind of like your birth certificate to say, hey, we're Forming a, a new person, it's a new legal entity, and uh, and you want that to be a non-for-profit because in that way, any revenue you receive from membership dues or from sponsorships or outside organizations, it's not taxable. So you can take all that revenue and put it to your mission. And so, with those articles of incorporation or organization, you want to have a mission statement. You're going to have a few founders that have to sign it, and then you're born. That's your you're an organization. Um, right after that, or in conjunction with that, you should be forming bylaws. Um, so articles of incorporation are filed with the state. Bylaws typically do not need to be filed with the state, but bylaws are your rules. Like, how are you going to run this organization? You know, what's the mission statement? You know, are there going to be different member classes? Are members going to have to pay a fee? Are they going to vote? How many officers are you going to have? How long are those officers going to serve? How are they appointed? How are they removed? So those are all your rules and regulations. And each state has some specific requirements that you need in uh, non-for-profit bylaws. So now you're formed, you're your own entity, um, you're recognized by the state. Now it's time to get an employee ID number. So an employee ID number is like your social security number. So you go to the IRS for that and you can actually apply right online and it's instantaneous. You get an employee ID number right when you apply. And with that number, you can go and open up a bank account. 
and you can solicit, you know, grants, you can do sponsorships, you can have membership fees come in and everything flows through that employee identification number, which is attached to the non-for-profit. So just having the employee ID number by itself is not enough. You still have to get recognized by the federal government for a, a, a tax-exempt status. So you're non-for-profit with your state because you filed those articles of incorporation or organization, but now you need federal tax exemption, and that's so you don't have to pay federal taxes. Yeah. And that comes under a section of the tax code called the 501, Section 501, and there's our 501C, and there's different parts of it. And most organizations uh, around obesity medicine are either a 501c3 or a 501c6. Um, so most business organizations, organizations are a 501c6, and that's probably most appropriate for most local obesity medicine organizations. So 501c6 says, hey, we're a group of like-minded tradespeople or business associates that want to, you know, promote, you know, uh, whatever the services and educate. And, uh, and then you can get tax exempt status through that. And that allows you to do advocacy. Um, it allows you not to have to pay taxes. Uh, and it, it costs a little more than filing for some other status. Um, and the other status is 501c3. Um, and a 501c3 is typically a charitable organization. So that's where an organization that can accept, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, gifts, uh, that can accept, uh, and, and the person who gives the gift can take a tax exemption on it. But it's mainly meant to be more of a charitable organization where they're going to use those funds to provide for charity or for other nonprofit purposes. And uh, with a 501c3, you are limited on your ability to do advocacy. Um, and so that's one of the, the limitations of that. So for most obesity medicine groups that want to participate in, you know, probably some education, probably some networking and probably some advocacy, you know, 501c6 is probably the, uh, the correct uh, um, status that you should file for. So you file for that with the, um, the IRS. It takes a few months to get a determination on that. And, uh, and you're up and running. So then it's the fun stuff. It's, you know, setting up a fun website. It's, you know, t sending out blast emails to your colleagues in the community and, uh, and starting to build the organization and plan events. Um, and one thing I've seen with a lot of these groups, I mean, I think I've had contact with over 15 of these new local organizations. Um, there's a lot of variability in how they do things. And that's great. You know, they're kind of all putting their own stamp on what works for them. So I know some groups that are invite only. So you have to get in the club. Um, I know other groups that are open to everyone. Um, I know some groups that are open to only certain licensed professionals, like Illinois Obesity Society. We're open to any licensed professional around treatment of obesity. So we have psychologists and exercise physiologists and you know dietitians and medical providers. Um, and so you can kind of form the organization the way you want to, and that's something you do typically in your your bylaws, and then. You know, you decide what your main mission is. So I know some groups are more focused on, like, we want to mainly be about advocacy. I know other groups that are all about education and providing CME credits. And, you know, our program, our uh, society, Illinois Obese Society, is kind of a blend of mostly networking and education. And then we're just starting to dip our toe in advocacy. And so, um, yeah, so that, that's kind of how you get things going. So I think in, like, seven minutes there, we just kind of figured it all out. Um, and <laughs> I think most, if you have a small core group of, uh, you know, professionals, I think you can figure this out, you know, by going and reading on the website for your secretary of state, at least get the ball rolling. And then if you need to, you could always ask for, um, you know, professional advice.
Yeah, absolutely. I think that was so helpful. And hopefully all the people that reach out to you about this, you can kind of refer back, just listen to the podcast. Because so I know you get a lot of questions about this as well. So that was yeah, a great overview. Thank you for doing overview. this. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I'm hoping to save you some time here, Tony. Um, so yeah, that was a great review. And then just, you know, let's talk a little bit. So and for the Illinois Obesity Society, we have our quarterly dinner meetings, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then, and we have a speaker for that. Those are usually not CME. That's just, you know, we have a, a speaker. We have a dinner event, gives everybody a chance to network, get together, learn about an interesting topic. And then we have once a year, we have our CME event at the University of Chicago. Um, So that's, I think that's worked out really, really well. Like you said, you know, the CME uh, is usually booked out. We're full, full audience there and also with the dinner events. So those have all been really great. So one last question I wanted to ask you about the state memberships is, um, okay, so what is your what are your the membership dues for the members, and then also how do you get things uh, covered? How do you get sponsors? How do you get grants? You know, what does that process kind of look like for these state organizations? Those are great questions. Yeah, so um, our dues for the first uh, you know since 2019 until now were $100 a year. Um, now we just recently increased to 125 uh, a year. Uh, thank you, inflation. Um, but uh, just costs have gone up. But we tried to keep it, you know, minimal. And and the thing that you'll see with these type of organizations is there's lots of support, you know, in terms of grants and industry and sponsorships. So, you know, what we decided to do with our dinner programs, we have four dinner programs a year. It's an hour lecture. We decided not to go through the um, the effort and the expense of actually making those CME. And we just have those just be, you know, educational without the CME. Um, not having CME for that allows a few things. It allows us to have um, industry partners in the same room. So you don't have to follow the rules with CME where they have to be in a separate room. So it's kind of hard to do for small dinner venues. You usually need more of an event space for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's also made it, a, you know, easier in terms of having to do the surveys and everything afterwards. So for those you know, one hour dinner events, we didn't think that CME was really important for us. And so it gave us some more flexibility. And in terms of getting things, you know, paid for, a lot of it comes from, you know, sponsors. So our industry partners, whether they're the pharmaceutical industry or device manufacturers or support services, we have, you know, some dietitian or physical therapy programs that come in and help support and, and sponsor. And basically what they do is they buy a table in the back of the room and that gives them the opportunity to have access to uh, our society and, and, and talk with them and, and network and see if they're a good fit for their services. And, and so it's worked very well for us. And, and uh, you know, that sponsorship covers probably 80 to 90% of our, you know, uh, you know, costs in terms of running our society. The membership's actually a small portion, maybe only 20% of our, our revenue. So most of that comes through sponsorship. When we do like more formal events, like our yearly CME event, which is a full day CME, um, you know, that we have to, uh, you know, have all the rules about, you know, separating the sponsors and the uh, attendees and, and, and have to pay for a CME accreditation. Um, but for that, we do sponsorship, which also helps, but we also apply for grants. So a lot of industry partners out there will, will supply, edu- you know, educational grants. Um, there are typically no strings attached. You just have to kind of fill out some paperwork and apply for it. And in the past, we've been very successful in getting grants and also getting sponsorship to cover our events. And, uh, and then also when you have big events, you also charge a fee, you know, for, for the CME. 
Um, and, and that's worked very well for us. And what one thing I found when we first started this organization, I was like, how am I going to get the word out? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a nice guy, but I'm not that friendly. I don't know everyone. <laughs> um, so I'm like, how am I going to invite a bunch of people to form this organization? What we found was our industry partners know the other doctors or the other providers or, you know, um, groups providing obesity medicine. So our you know, industry partners were able to share when they went out and met with other providers that, hey, you know, Dr. Oriema you know, helped start Illinois Obesity Society with these doctors. Here's some information. Check out their website if you want. And so they helped spread the word. Mm-hmm. So I know, um, you know, sometimes we want to be careful about how integrated we are with our industry partners, but I think having them share, you know, what's going on in the community, what's going on in their medical community in terms of these type of organizations, I think is, is very helpful. Um, and so they kind of helped spread the word initially. I think that's why we grew so fast. Yeah, that's uh, another very helpful point because that's another big question is how do we get people, how do we spread the word about these Mm -hmm. organizations? How do we get people to join? Um, So yeah, thank you so much, Tony. I think we covered a lot of things in 30 minutes, you know, from starting your own practice and the program at Ascension to the state obesity organizations. So thank you so much for being with us today. And if there's anywhere that people can want to find out more about the Illinois Obesity Society or any of the work you're doing, is there any contacts that you would recommend people take a look at? Yeah. So, I mean, I would definitely uh, recommend checking out IllinoisObesitySociety.org. Um, they can go there. Um, you know, it kind of tells you a little, a little bit about our organization and they can reach out to me through there. Or um, Obesity Medicine Association. So Obesity Medicine Association, I'm a current board member for, and we are starting to put together, uh, you know, support services for these local organizations so that we can help, you know, connect them with people like myself or maybe connect them with other similar organizations. So they could always check out Obesity Medicine Association to look for resources there too. Perfect. Well, I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. And thank you so much, Tony. It was great to see you here. And I think I'm going to see you in a little bit at the holiday party. (laughs) Sounds good, Carly. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on the Gaining Health Podcast and for your commitment to learning more about how we can care for people with obesity in a compassionate and evidence-based way. If you'd like to learn more about gaining health and how we support clinicians who want to start or optimize an obesity management program, please check us out online at gaininghealth.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with a friend or colleague and leave us a review. And lastly, if you'd like to support the podcast financially, even if it's just $5 a month, we would really appreciate it. And you can do so by clicking on our Patreon link in the show notes. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time on the Gaining Health Podcast.